you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the book of James this morning. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Appreciated uh, the songs that we sung this morning. Uh, I, I love it when songs that we sing, especially in the situation of, in the context of trials, uh, points us to the character of God, points us to who God is. A lot of times in our trials, we, we look to ourselves, we look to our circumstances, um, but God wants us in our trials to look to Him, to remember His character. Um, and so I just appreciate those songs, just reflecting God's sovereignty. Uh, God's grace in our lives, God's mercy and compassion, God's faithfulness, uh, all pointed to us by those songs that we sung this morning. Appreciate good truths and good songs. James chapter 1, verse 12 through 18, where we'll be this morning. James 1, 12 through 18. James writes, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning, your word of truth. Lord, we know that it is not only the word by which we have come to know you, to be born again, but Father, it is by this very same word that which we are sanctified, that which we are equipped, that we are encouraged and built up as a church body, that we would be the kind of church, the kind of Christians that you have saved us to become. Lord, we pray that as your word goes forth this morning, that you would sanctify us with your truth. Especially, Lord, as we look to the subject of trials, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom to apply your word to our circumstances, to in each and every trial that we may be facing. But Father, we pray especially, even as we interact with different brothers and sisters within the body, we know that there are some of our brothers and sisters are going through some intense, heavy, weighty trials. So, Father, we pray for them. We pray for those who are going through health issues like cancer. Father, we pray for those who are going through just the, the, the own, their own fears of drilling of, of the expectation of, of a child. We pray for those who are going through the trial, their respective trials of just looking for work and not even able to find work. We pray for those who are just weighted down by, even by just, the, just wrestling with sin, knowing that it is discouraging them as they continue and feel helpless against it. Lord, we pray for even all those who trials, those who are going through difficult trials that we are not aware of. May your word accomplish that which you purpose to do in each one's life. Cause us, Father, to draw near to you in our trials, to cast ourselves upon you, upon your feet. 
Help us to cry out to you, to know more of who you are. Lord, this we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the joys of being a new parent for myself is I get to hold my baby. You know, it's like the whole baby. Anybody like the whole babies out there? Okay, nobody. All right. <laughs> Just me. Okay, but <clears throat> at least well, before I had, before I had uh, our daughter, I wasn't a baby holder. I just, you know, it wasn't me. It was just, you know, it's kind of, uh, I don't know what to do with them. But one of the joys of being a, a parent is that you get to hold your baby. And I think most of your parents would agree. So it's, it's really, and it's particularly when they're baby size, right? You know, that's, it's, that's when they're cute. Uh, well, they're all cute, all, whatever, but you know what I mean. They're, they're so cute. But one thing I've learned about as I hold uh, our daughter is that, you know, when I first hold her, uh, she's, you know, and I ask, you ask me how heavy she feels. She's, you know, she feels about 20 pounds, you know. It's a good solid baby, you know. Uh, well built, well built. Um, and, but, if you, as you know, and many of you parents know, the, the longer you hold your baby, the heavier she feels, right? Five minutes later, it's like, oh, I'm starting to feel it. Oh, man. See, I have bad back, so I'm, I'm feeling, oh. You know, a half an hour later, she feels like a, you know, a sack of rice, you know, big bag sack of rice. Like, I can't carry And I have to call the strong one in our family, Cindy, come and hold, hold baby because I can't carry her. Anyways, why, why this illustration? It's just the, the, it's, it kind of gives an illustration that, you know, just like babies, trials are kind of like that. Trials are, are burdens that we carry. And at first, they may not feel very heavy, but as time goes on, if we have to carry and hold up this, un, this trial in our life over time, the longer that we hold the, have to bear under this trial, the heavier it feels. And the heavier that it feels, the, the more we are tempted to be discouraged, the more we're tempted to despair. And there are times when the weight of trials in our life feels so heavy that we begin to question God. We cry out, why, Lord? We ask, why me? We ask, how long, O oh Lord, must I endure this? You know, we would, if you just tell me that it's for a day, a week, a month, even a year perhaps, I could bear it if you know, tell me when it will end. But there are some trials, as you and I know, that we just don't know when it will end. And month after month, and as year after year goes on, the trial continues because of who we are as human beings. We begin to doubt. We begin to question God. We begin to wonder, does God know what he's doing? Why is God doing this? You know, these questions are honest questions. We see some of them asked in the scriptures, in fact. Honest questions, though they may be, oftentimes they remain unanswered. We may not know why. We may not know why us. We may not even know how long. But when the answers, the answers don't come and the trial continues, our faith can grow weary. And we may then begin to doubt God, to question God. And this doubt usually takes uh, questions God on one of three areas. We often will question God's love. Lord, if you love me, why are you allowing this to happen? We question God's power. Are you not able to take this trial from my life? And thirdly, we question God's goodness. Why would you allow this evil thing to happen to me? And if we allow ourselves to remain on that road of doubt, we end up concluding that either God doesn't love me or God isn't all-powerful, or that God isn't good. We know, of course, that all these things are patently false accusations that would, are against God. And they eventually, and inevitably, if we hold to them long enough, they lead us to stop trusting in Him. You see, and this is a true for all of us. This is a potential for all of us because of our sinful nature. Our sinful nature leads us to doubting God And it causes us to, when the trials are heavy and upon our life, we wonder, 
about is we, start, we don't really start questioning ourselves. We tend to question God. A great example even, or a, a fair example of this is even Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we try to, we blame God sometimes. Adam, when he sinned, and then uh, God appeared to him, and I says, why did you do this? You know, God didn't say, hey, Adam didn't say, well, it's, you know, my fault, I made the choice. He puts the blame on God. He says, well, the woman who you gave me, she gave to me, you know, so he blames on the woman, and he blames upon God because God gave her, gave her to him. And we do that. And as we begin to doubt, we begin to worry, and, uh, and begin to even stumble in our trusting of the Lord, and our we, start, we tend to blame God. And so the concern that we ought to have is, how do I not go down that road? Because I think right now, in the, when we're not in the midst of trials, we, we would say, well, is, it, is God good? Is God loving? Is God all-powerful? We'd all say amen to that. But when trials persist long enough, we would all be tempted to question in those very truths that we hold dear about God. So how do we persevere under trials? How do we persevere is the question we ask today. Is what James answers for us in our passage this morning. Just a quick review of James and where we've been. The theme of James is it's about faith that works. It's about those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. If we've got a faith, then it should work out in our life. It should manifest. And particularly in verses one, uh, 2 through 18 of chapter 1, it should work out in the midst of trials especially. When we have trials, we should see our faith make a difference in our lives. Faith should persevere in the face of trials. And we've looked so far in three, part, three of the four parts. We looked at chapter, verse 2 to 4 that our faith will find joy in the midst of trials. That we can consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. Because we know that God's doing a work in our lives. He's using trials to create endurance and perseverance in us. So that we then conform us to the image of Christ. To spiritual maturity. Verse 5 through 8, we've learned that faith we have faith in Christ, faith will then seek wisdom from the Lord in trials because oftentimes we all lack faith in the midst of trials. So we need to ask God, and God is single-heartedly devoted to giving us wisdom. He wants to give us, he wants us to seek him. Verse 9, 11, we looked at how faith boasts in the knowledge of the Lord in trials. That is, whether we're rich, whether we're poor, whenever we find trials, God allows these things into our lives so that we would learn to boast in the knowledge of the Lord, that we would realize that whether I have money or whether I don't, what really matters is that I have Christ. And that's what I'm going to boast in. And then today, we're going to look at how faith then perseveres under trials. When trials go on with no end in sight, how will our faith persevere? Two point, uh, three, point, uh, three point outline this in our text this morning. When facing temptations to doubt God, there are going to be three encouragements. We, we can find three encouragements in this passage to persevere under trials, to remain in faith in Christ under those trials, to keep trusting in Christ. Let's look at number one then. Number one, we, we persevere under trials because the prize the, of enduring under trials is life. Verse 12. Look at, uh, James writes, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James begins this statement with, uh, uh, James begins his verse here with a statement that sounds quite similar to Jesus' words, right? Blessed is the man. It sounds like his Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 3-11. But in fact, this phrase, blessed is the man or blessed is the one, is a common phrase throughout the, among the people of God. They were concerned about being a blessed man. You wanted to be a, a blessed. Oh, man, the clock just fell. That means I can go in two hours. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise God. You know, the fact is, blessed is the man, and we read it in our scripture reading this morning, and we read it, for me, one of my favorite songs, Psalm 1, begins with how blessed is the man. But this passage tells us, how is a man blessed? And what does this word blessed mean? It, sometimes, you, you probably, we've probably all heard a sermon that says, blessed means happy. It means happy. So when you're happy, you're blessed. Or when you're blessed, you're happy. And that's kind of the idea, but sometimes we're blessed. We can be blessed in the midst of trials and I doubt we'll feel, like, happy, at least in the, what we think of happy. You know, like, not like, I was going to quote, give an illustration for some movie, but then we, I'm sure you guys haven't watched that movie. So, 
happy like, oh, you know, hop, skip, jump. That's, a, that's not the kind of happy we're talking about. It is a happiness in a biblical sense, but a happiness of, that is characterized by this inward, it's inner feeling, inward peace and joy because one is a recipient of God's favor. You're blessed because you've received God's favor, and that produces, yes, a happiness, but an inward peace and joy, an inward satisfaction, knowing that I am blessed, I am blessed of God. And that's what we want. We want to be blessed of God. They just kind of trace even the Old Testament, how many times the importance of what's called a blessing. In fact, Abraham was blessed by God, so that he would be a, a blessing. There's this idea of being blessed. There's importance to God's blessing upon us. Even a father's giving, giving a blessing to his son. But this idea of blessedness is important. How does James say we can become blessed? Well, he says blessed is a man who perseveres under trials. That we remain under trials. That is not just bearing and just like grinning at you. But in, as, we are un, bearing, as, we are, as we bear the trials of our life, we keep placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We know that I, by trusting in Christ, I can remain under this trial until Jesus Christ or, and God completes that which he wants to do in my life. James writes, blessed is this man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. This word approved reminds us that trials are a test of one's faith. It's a test. You want to see, you know, like when you take tests at school, you know, your teachers, when they give you tests, they don't want to see you fail, right? That would be a very sad teacher because, to tell you the truth, teachers see tests as being as a reflection, too, of their teaching ability as well. Teachers want to see you succeed. They want to see every student get an A, I think. <laughs> and that's the idea of this test. It's to see what your faith is. To see the genuineness of your faith. God gives us trials so that he, we may see our faith approved. He knows that whether it's real or not. He's given to us. But he wants us to see. He wants you to see that your faith is a real faith. That yes, I have a faith in Christ that is, that is real. And God tests our faith to prove its genuineness to us. God isn't seeking our faith to fail. He wants us to see our faith work to turn to him in the midst of trials, to rejoice over its perfect result, to seek him for wisdom, to realize that knowing Christ is enough. And the reward of such an approved faith is that he says, James says, he will receive the crown of life. When your faith has been approved, after all your faith is tested and shown to be genuine, you will receive the crown of life. This phrase comes from the picture of the Greek games, our modern kind of equivalent to our modern-day Olympics. Paul uses this phrase later, in, another, in, a, in a verse in 1 Corinthians 9.25, he says, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. That is actually the same word as the translated crown here. But we an imperishable. You see, in, the Olymp- or in those Greek games, those Greek early Olympics, they would compete, but they wouldn't compete for no piece of gold or silver or bronze. They would compete for some a twig. You know, some vines, I mean, it looked nice, you know, obviously. But it would be a victor's wreath that they would wear, and it would look, I'm I'm sure it looked really nice. But it would be a symbol that one was victorious in the Greek games, that they won, and that was enough. They didn't know gold or silver or bronze. They just needed to know that they had won. But that wreath is an imperishable one. But God gives the one who perseveres under trials a crown, not just a a crown of twigs, but he gives the crown of life. A crown that consists of life is really how we might interpret this. And that life is not just physical life on earth, but it's spiritual life. It's a life that God gives. And God gives eternal life. He gives spiritual eternal life. He gives life that is in Christ, life with him in his presence. This crown of life is furthermore used in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, as the promised reward of those who would be martyred for their faith. The crown of life, in short, is eternal life with Christ. When your faith, we are, when we persevere in the trials because 
through the testing of our faith, we learn to find that our faith is approved. And though this test is a lifelong test, that once at the very end when our faith is proven genuine and we, and we, we die and we leave this world, enter into heaven, the reward is life with him. Now, I want to make sure that we understand that James is not saying that perseverance in trials will earn eternal life. This is not salvation by works, that if you endure and last in trial, you keep trusting in Christ, that that is what, that, uh, that you, that that's what saves you. Rather, James is saying that perseverance in trials reveals a genuine faith, and it is faith in Christ that saves, that leads to eternal life. Furthermore, James even adds at the end of this verse, it's which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, we don't earn eternal life by loving God first. In fact, we love because he first loved us. Loving God just simply reveals that God has loved us first. God has shown us his love through Christ, and we've received that love. But as we respond, we love him back. And the one who loves him back reflects one who knows Christ, and that's why God gives us this crown of life. Persevere because the prize is life. At the end of life, this life is the prize of eternal life with Christ. See, the Christian life is, if I could put it in an illustration for us, it's like a running a marathon race. How many of you run marathon races? Any of you guys? Okay, so you guys already know what I'm talking about. Good. All right, you know, <laughs> no, I know some of you guys do. But the fact is, I've never run one. I have no idea what it means to run a marathon race. I have no idea what to expect. Uh, you know, maybe it's easy. Who knows? 26.2 miles? Yeah, I could do that probably. I'll try. When's the next one? Let me sign up right now. Uh, I think I'm going to go try it. Those of you that run the race will say, oh, oh hey, mistake, right? Don't do that. Uh, you, want, you love your legs. You want, you, want, you, know, you want to be a walk-in. Don't do that, okay? It's foolish. But it's, why I say it's like a marathon race that you've never run before? Because that's not how the Christian life is. It's a long race. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ as young men and women, well, most of us were young men when we came, that's when we started the race. We started the race. And, but we really at that point didn't know. We don't know what's coming ahead. Just like if you've never run a marathon before, you don't know what's coming ahead. You don't know that, hey, there's going to be a place where we're like mile two when you want to stop maybe or mile three or mile 20. Keep drinking water. No, who knows these things? But the fact is, we don't know what's coming up in the race, and we don't know what's coming up in the Christian life. The same thing, we don't know what trials are coming up in our Christian life. When we first, when we first began, I had no idea when I first became a Christian all the trials that God would allow in my life. Did you have any idea all the trials that God would have for your life when you began the Christian race? I don't think any of us did. We do not realize all those trials that we will face. We don't expect as a young college student to experience that first breakup with our girlfriend or boyfriend. We don't expect singleness in our 30s and 40s and 50s. We don't expect it being so difficult to find a job right outside of college. We don't expect that marriage conflict with the one we love. We don't expect infertility. We don't expect losing a child. We don't expect cancer when it comes. We don't expect getting laid off from work, or having a failure in our business. We don't expect the frustration of raising kids. We don't expect teen rebellion. Actually, we do that, but we think it's just other teens. But we don't expect <laughs> falling into debt. We don't expect adultery in our lives. We don't expect the slow debilitation of our bodies and mind. We don't expect the losing of our spouse that we love. We don't expect the loneliness of an empty nest. We don't expect a whole lifetime of other trials, great and small, each one testing our faith in Jesus Christ. And yet each one is designed to test and strengthen your faith. Each trial that we face, which would come on upon us always unexpectedly, are, is never easy. But wherever you are in this race, whatever trial that you are facing at this very moment in your life, persevere under trial. Don't quit. Keep trusting in Christ. Why? Because there's an end. You don't know how long in this life, but there's an end. And at that end is the prize of life. It's the life in Christ. 
And you may not realize it this way. I think most of us don't, especially as young Christians, how valuable that life, that prize is. When we get there, I tell you, and I made the more clo- those of us that are closer to there will probably tell you that that prize is more important than anything else in this life that we want to hold on to. And it's worth, you would say that it's even worth going through the trials that we face in this life. The prize is life. And so let's persevere so that we would have to, to reveal, because perseverance reveals that our faith in Christ is a genuine faith. Keep trusting in him. But make no mistake, there will be times as we run this marathon race, there will be times when trials that we face will just be so great that we will be tempted to quit. We will be tempted and we'll begin to doubt God. And we'll begin to even blame God. And we might even want to curse God. But we remember, and we continue in the next verses, the next set of verses, we not only persevere because the prize is life, but we persevere because temptation is not of God. Temptation is not of God. When we are tempted to fall away, we even blame God for that. Let no one say, verse 13, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. If we, continue, if we just read the verse 13 and 15, just in and of itself, they completely to us, and at least in our English language, they seem completely unrelated to trials, right? It's talking about temptation now. About, and, we, and you can apply these verses to just our general temptation with sin. But when we realize that the Greek word for trial and temptation is the same Greek word, and we realize that the same word to test and to tempt is the same Greek word, then we begin to understand that trials and temptations are somewhat related, especially because they use a particular word. In fact, when you find this, these Greek words within the, uh, in the scriptures, context determ- determines for how we translate. That's why sometimes it's translated as trial in verses 3 through 12, and it's tra- translated as temptation or tempt in verse 13 and following. But what these words convey, and the close relationship is this, that every trial can also be a temptation to sin. Just as a trial tests our faith to trust in the Lord, that same trial can also become a temptation for us to not trust the Lord. But we take, and while this is true, we take it a little bit further sometimes in this way. We know that trials almost always include a temptation. It's a test that God wants us to, to pass, to, to trust in him. But at the same time, it's a temptation. A temptation we, we cannot trust in God. We believe also that God is sovereign. We just sung it in our song, that God is sovereign. And we know that God ordains trials in life. In fact, even Scripture tells us, like in Genesis 22, for instance, that God even is the one who tests. He brings the trials into our life. But when we, go, when we put those two together, we sometimes mistakenly believe, therefore, that when I'm tempted because of my trials, that that's from God, too. That God is the one, God is the source of, for my temptation, that it's God's fault that I'm tempted. That it's God's fault that I'm thinking about walking away from the church and never coming back. It's God's fault that I'm thinking about leaving my family. It's God's fault that I'm going to quit my work. It's God's fault when I don't want to follow him anymore. But God is not a tempter. God does not, is not the source of temptation. And so James clarifies this misconception for us in these verses. In fact, he gives another command here in verse 13. He's, it's translated, let no one say, but it really is no one should say, or one, no one, must, or one must not say this, that he is being tempted by God. 
The reason, James gives three reasons in verse 13 to 15. Number one, he, in verse 13, he says, God is not the source of temptation because he has nothing to do with temptation. God has nothing to do with temptation. In God's holiness, he is neither, the scripture, this verse tells us that he himself cannot be tempted by evil. He himself, God is holy. He cannot be tempted by sin. But, and furthermore, because he's holy, he cannot be tempted by evil, as then he himself also has nothing to do. He does not tempt anyone else either. He's not mischievous. He's like, oh, I want to see. Oh, I want to see Henry. Mm, see, I want to see him fail. I'm going to tempt him. God does not do that. He is not. That would make him evil and sinful. The one who is the tempter in the Bible is who? Satan. Satan is the tempter. He's the one who tempts. But God is not the source of temptation or sin, according to verse 13. He's not tempted by evil, and therefore he's not tempted to tempt us to sin. Which then leads to our, to our second reason. Now, we could say that temptation is from Satan. We'd like to say, oh, I'm being tempted by Satan. Well, we don't know that for sure. It could be that we're being tempted by Satan. But the second reason why we should definitely not say that God is not the source of our temptation, because Verse 14 teaches us that we are the source of temptation. You are the source of your temptation. I am the source of my temptation. Verse 14 we read, but each one is tempted when he is carried away by his own lust. By his own, that word means desire. And nowadays in our English language, when we use lust, we think of sexual lust. But this word in the original Greek does not mean just sexual lust. It includes that, but it means any desire. In fact, it could refer to good desires as well as bad desires. The context determines the meaning. And so here in this context of temptation and sin, it refers to sinful desires, our sinful desires, that we are led away by our own sinful desires. Our temptation is because of our sinful desires. James is using here the uh, fishing imagery. Some of you are fishermen, I believe, and we talk about using a bait and hook. When you, bait, when you put the bait on the hook, it entices, right, the fish to take a bite. You just leave a hook there, they, you know, they're not going to want to bite that. But you put some bait there, they want to, they'll take a bite. And when they bite, when they're tempted by, enticed by that bait, they will take a bite, and then they will be carried away by that hook that has ensnared them. See, when it comes to temptation, our own sinful desires, our own lust serves as the bait, it's not our trial. That's not the fault. God gives the trials, yes. But when it comes to temptation, it's our lust that is the bait. It is our desires. Our sinful nature produces sinful desires that when we follow through them, upon them, lead to sin. Our sinful nature, furthermore, takes good desires and, as well and turns them into sin Make no mistake, though, temptation arises not from God, but from our, ourselves. Jesus himself teaches this in Matthew 15, 19, when he writes, when he, or when he says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. It's our own heart. That's where temptation comes from. That's where sin comes from. It's from ourselves because we're all fallen creatures. It, we're all now, you say, well, I haven't committed murder. I haven't committed adultery. Uh, you know, maybe I might have fornicated. I might have stole something as a kid. Oh, yeah, I've been a false witness. Uh, you know, you may say, well, I, I didn't murder. I didn't murder. But these are all possible for us. These are all the potential for all who are created, uh, who are <laughs> created human beings, men and women, with a sinful nature. Thirdly, oh, thirdly, we learn that God is not the source of temptation because temptation's end result is death. Verse 15, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. See, now James is using another image, different imagery here. James uses a lot of different imagery. He's a very good illustrator. He uses the imagery of, of giving birth. 
And he talks that when lust has conceived, when desire is conceived, when the temptation conceives and we give into temptation, it gives birth. It produces an offspring. And that is also the offspring of sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. See, when, what we learn here is that tempta- our own sinful desires and the temptations that we create because of our desires, when we follow through on them, when we give into them, particularly when we give into the temptation to not trust God, to doubt God, or to blame God in the midst of trials, it produces, it becomes sin. And that sin ultimately leads to death. Paul writes very similarly of this principle. This is a principle in the scriptures that sin leads to death. He writes in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Sin leads to death. And the consequence of all sin before a holy God is eternal death. Not just physical death. That's just a separation from our body and our soul. But it's a spiritual death. Eternal death is a separation of our spirit from God the Father. And eventually our body from God the Father. Is we will be completely separated from him for eternity in conscious punishment in hell. That is what eternal death refers to. That is the death that sin results in if we continue. You see, to say that God is the source of temptation is to say that God, therefore, is the source of sin and death. And God is not the source of sin and death. The scriptures make very clear Romans chapter 5, verse 12, tells us where the source of sin and death is. From the fall of Adam, through one man sin entered the world, and through sin came death. And all of us who are in Adam, all of us who are basically descendants of Adam and Eve, which is all of us, because we're descendants of Adam and Eve, we too have a sinful nature. All of us also are guilty of sin. All of us also are condemned to death. This is characteristic of all of us. The source of temptation is ourselves. So we persevere because this, in the midst of our trans- and even though we are maybe tempted to doubt God, we persevere because we know that temptation does not come from God. That is our own sinful nature responding to trials. So how can we resist temptation then? When we face trials and we are, feel so overwhelmed by them that we want, we tempted to doubt God. We really are tempted to run away from God. We're so tempted to just say, I give up on God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I believe, gives encouragement for us, not just with uh, this particular temptation, but all sorts of temptation. Paul writes, no temptation, temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. God gives us trials. But it is our own sinful desires that turn trials into temptations. Now, I would want to make sure that we understand that temptation in and of itself is not sinful. It's just being human. We are all tempted. As long as we have a sinful nature, we will be tempted. Very sometimes it's from our it's desires and circumstances at the same time. But it's only when we give in to temptation that is sin born. But we have hope because God in Christ gives us the way of escape. To resist temptation, a combination of his word, when we meditate and memorize God's word, it keeps us from sin. A combination of his spirit, his spirit takes his word and convicts us and equips and empowers us to resist the temptation. And as well as his wisdom, applying God's principles to our life so we know to avoid the path of sin and temptation. So when we face trials, let us persevere in trusting the Lord. Especially when we find those times where there are trials because of our desires become temptations. It's because we think we desire for a peaceful, quiet life. It's because we desire to have the American dream. It's because we desire to have a, a, a wife and two children or even any children or two cars. That it's because we desire to have perfectly healthy lives. It's because we desire to have more money and more possessions. It's because we desire for a plethora of so many things, some good, some bad, some neutral. 
But it's because of our desires that sometimes in the midst of, temp- in the midst of trials, that those trials become temptations because we think God owes us these things that we desire. God owes us, if he owes us anything, he owes us eternal judgment and wrath because of our sin. A third and final encouragement, though, to persevere under trials. And that we find in verse 16 and 18, that's, we, should, we can persevere because the Father gives good gifts. Verse 16, James writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So James wants to make clear to his readers, not be deceived. We are so tempted to blame God. We know God's sovereign, but, and yes, he brings trials, but then when we give into temptation, we start doubting, when we start despairing, that is not God's fault. Don't be deceived to think that that's God's fault, that, that's God's, uh, what God is, that it is God who is doing this to us. His desire is to not to see your failure, but to see your faith. What, and we can be encouraged in these verses that follow is that what God gives us, it reminds us who God is, and that what he gives us is that God gives us good gifts. These words would be very similar to what Jesus would write. James often, it's really encouraging as we're going through James, we're going to see so many times that James gives words that make, give allusion to the teachings of Jesus, but they're always stated in a way that's not a direct quote from the Gospels. And what's kind of interesting just from a scholarly standpoint is that James is probably writing before any of the Gospels had been written yet. So he's writing, as we've already spoken before, this is one of the earliest books in the Testament. But Jesus' words is this, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Jesus taught that, hey, you are all sinful people, and you know how to give good gifts to your children, right? You don't give them a snake dude, when they ask for you an egg. You don't give them baggage. You know, hey, here's a gun, kid. Not necessarily guns are evil, but it's not good for them when they're young, for sure. You, know, you, want, you don't want to give them some poison. You don't want to give them, like, oh, some kind of disease or bacteria or, you know, something that will kill them. You want to give them good gifts. God says, and Jesus says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more does God? God is not evil, but God is good. God gives good gifts. And so James writes, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In verse 5, we had learned that God is a giving God, right? That if we lack wisdom, ask of God because God is giving. He wants to give us wisdom. He's eager to give it. He's single-heartedly devoted to give us wisdom. And he gives it to us without rebuke. Here, we see that God furthermore gives us everything that is good. God gives us not only wisdom, but God gives us everything that is good. He gives good gifts to his children. Everything in your life that is good, you have received from him. By his hand. And this title that James uses here of the Father of Lights is a reminder to us of God's create of that God is the creator. That he is the creator who gave us all of creation and declared it good. The word lights there is a reference to the, the great lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And God is the one who created them, right? He created, he put the sun and the moon and the stars up there in a sense, to to give us light, but also to mark our days. And God gave us the lights for us. In fact, we would not, we would say that, scientists would tell you today that if you don't have the sun, there would be no life, right? Because the sun gives us heat and gives us energy and 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 kind of maintains this perfect uh, atmosphere in our world today. God is the one who gave us this creation. And what did God say about creation when he was done? It was very good. It was very good. It was good creation. God gave the good creation to mankind. And the God who gave us this world that we live in with all its produce, animals, is the same God that we call upon today. He is still the giving God. He is still the father of lights. And he is still giving only good things. Everything good that we receive is from him. And there's no greater gift that he's given us than the gift of salvation. Where James points us out in verse 18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits 
among his creatures. In the, ex- the phrase in the exercise of his will is one word in the Greek. It really is the word that might be translated as having been willing. That it's God's willingness that all this comes about. We believe in God's sovereign will. That it's because he wills things that they come about. And it's because he willed it so, he caused us to be born again. He brought us forth. This is the giving birth imagery again. He brought us forth by the word of truth. God's, how were we born again? By the word of truth. And the shepherd's conference, some of the men went to shepherd's conference this year. And their theme was on this subject, the inerrancy of scripture, the word of truth, God's word of truth. Can you imagine if God's word was not true? You know, very common today, some people like to say, well, everything, the Bible is true when it speaks to spiritual things, but anything else, whether it's science, math, you know, history, oh, it could be wrong. It could be an error, honest error, yes, but it could be wrong. It, It may not necessarily be true. That's a slippery slope. To say that if God allows for error in his word, if God's word is not the word of truth, the word of error, then what else is error? How do we know that the spiritual things are not also in error? But God's word is because God is a God of truth. God's word is true. And because God's word is true, there can be salvation in Christ. We can believe in these promises. We can hold on to these truths. And it's by those truths that God gave to us through the word that we were brought forth, that we were regenerated, that we were born again, that, we, that he gave us faith to believe in him. And it tells us, verse 18, that we then, as believers in Christ, we became a kind of first fruits among his creatures, among all creation. The first fruits is a phrase that sort of is a term that was the first fruit, kind of like the first, God was given the first fruits as an act of faith that God would, he's going to bring, help us to bring in the rest of the harvest, that we trust everything is from the Lord. In a sense here, the Christians are a first fruit in the sense that through the witness of, through these early Christians, whether James's readers or Christians today, it is a sign, it's a point to others that God is going to bring all those whom he has elect and chosen to saving faith. In fact, God's going to bring all that he has purposed in his plan of redemption and salvation to completion. And it doesn't include just the church, just the people who believe in him, but it's going to involve a new heaven and new earth as well. See, God is about giving good gifts, and he's given us the best gift of all, the greatest gift of all, and that is our salvation in Jesus Christ. And we say that so often And we intellectually understand that what that means. But we don't often live like that that is true, do we? You know, this, uh, at least during football season or I think basketball season, sometimes you watch me and you you see what I cheer on Sunday for more loudly and get more excited about. I shamefully will not admit that I sometimes get more excited about a football game. And that tells something about my own heart. And you may feel something similar, whatever it is that you cheer for or delight in, think is great, the greatest gift of all, whether it's your work, your career, your house, your cars, your, your, your family, I mean, whatever those things may be, they ought not to be, but the greatest gift of all is this gift of salvation in Christ. But we really, the, the what, I've, what we come to realize is that we really don't understand this, we won't come to understand this until we go through trials. It's through going through trials that we realize that God has given us the greatest gift of all. And this truth that God has given us gifts should then, God gives good gifts, should encourage us in the midst of trials. When God gives us a trial, we we, we tend not to think of it as good, right? We think, oh, man, uh, uh, you know, this sickness or I lost my job, it's not good. And we, we can come into question and we doubt. But when we remember that God is good, that he's the father of lights who gave us not only all creation, but he's given us his son. So that even if we don't understand why we are experiencing this trial, we don't understand why we are going through this trial, we don't even understand how long we're going to last, have to endure in this trial, we know that God is in this trial and that God is good. And therefore, that God will work all things together for good to those who love him. 
At the very least, from these verses, we learn that just as we study in chapter 1, we know that trials are good and that they produce endurance in our lives, that we would learn to persevere in our faith, and that perseverance produces in us spiritual maturity, become more like Christ, and that's a good thing. We also know that trials are good and that we grow in dependence upon God. You know, even we often depend upon our own strength. You give me, most of us face trials and we'll depend upon our own strength first, our own mind first, our own intellect, our own abilities. We don't tend to depend upon God first. But trials teach us to grow in dependence upon God as we learn to ask him for wisdom in trials. And we know that trials are good and that in our trials we learn that knowing Christ is more important than anything else in this world. That even if we lose everything, like a poor person, we still have Christ. And that's better than any wealthy person's world. And even if we had all sorts of things, but we go through all sorts of wealth, but we go through trials and we become humbled, we also can rejoice because we realize in that, and through those trials, that what really matters in this trials is not all my possessions, but it's Christ. God gives us trials, as, and those trials are a part of his good gifts. And let this truth then cause us to persevere under trials. And I would add Romans 8.32, where Paul says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God gives us only good gifts. You know, it's like God's giving you his son, Jesus Christ, right? Why would he want to give you a trial that to hurt you? Why would he want to give you a trial that say, you know, I'm about to get you? God's not like that. And so, therefore, we not, it should guard us from being tempted to, to doubt and question God. Let us persevere in the trials. So let these three encouragements, I hopefully, will encourage us, encourage you to persevere in the trials, whatever trials you're facing today. I want to conclude with, with a story, uh, an illustration from the scriptures, an illustration that I think we're all familiar with. It's a story of perhaps the one man in Scripture who endured uh, maybe perhaps one of the most difficult trials that any human being can face in life. And that's the story of Job, right? Job is uh, one of the oldest books in the Old Testament. It's a story that's so compelling when we read it. It's one of those fascinating stories that gives us insight into what takes place in heaven in the midst of trials. If you haven't read it yet, please do read Job 1 to 2. yeah, read the whole book. It'll be good for you. Uh, but don't be surprised if you get lost. Um, but Job 1 to 2 is the key part. When you, and the last two chapters of Job 2. In Job chapter 1, 1, 1 through 2, Job, one, on a single day, loses all his possessions, loses all his servants, loses all his children. Any one of those things would probably devastate most of us. All on the same day. But on top of that, Job would a little bit later lose his health as well. He would be covered from head to toe with sore boils all over his body. And it would be so bad that he would use, you know, we just scrape it, you know, raw because it probably itched. All the while, though the readers get an insight of what's happening, Job, as far as we can tell in the scripture, he doesn't know why this is happening to him. Job doesn't know why uh, or how long he must endure in this. He just simply knows that he's enduring this trial. We are told, of course, that it's a result of a spiritual attack of Satan. But Job doesn't know any of this. He could rightfully ask, how long, O Lord? Why, O Lord? Why me, O Lord? It's because he's a blameless, upright man who feared God and turned away from evil. In fact, it's so bad, his wife tells him to doubt God and to blame God. His wife tells him to curse God and die, won't you? But in Job chapter 2, verse 10, we see this most encouraging response, encouraging response for us in the midst of trials. Job responds to his wife. He says, shall we indeed accept good from God? And not accept adversity. God, Job realized that all the good that he has received is from God. And this trial in his life, this adversity, 
he knows is also from God. So then he accepts it. And, and then the, the, the author writes, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. That Job never doubted God. He didn't question God. He didn't curse God for it in the midst of his trials. He remained faithful and trusting in God. He endured in the midst of that trial because of his faith in God. James would take this, this story and, and comment on it in chapter 5, verse 11. We read this, James 5, 11, We count those blessed who endured. That's our first verse. Blessed is the man who perseveres or endures under trials. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. See, Job was blessed because he endured. He did not give in to the temptation to curse God, but remembering God's nature, that God is the one who gives good, he kept trusting the Lord and persevered under trial. The same goes for you and me. Blessed are you when you persevere under trials. And where does the strength come from to persevere under trials? It comes from our recognition of who God is and our relationship with him. That's through faith in Jesus Christ that there is a prize that waits at the very end, that prize of life. And so that's why we persevere. It's knowing that God is good. Therefore, the temptation doesn't come from him. It's our own sinful nature. And that's why we can keep trusting in him, even though we may be tempted to doubt and it's because God is a good giver, that he gives only good gifts, that even in this trial that he's allowed us to experience, it gives to us even, we might say, it is meant for good. It will work out for our good. God has promised to do so. And, we can, and even as we've studied James, whole of chapter 1, we can see different ways that our trials are for our good because of our faith in Christ. And in fact, the joy, greatest joy of all is that when in the, in the midst of our trials, we will learn to realize that it's because of Christ that we can persevere. And that will teach us that Christ is the most important possession of our lives. Here, in this short life, and in eternity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together in your word. Thank you for reminding us, encouraging us to persevere under trials. And though, Lord, I know that <clears throat> our trials are varied. Everyone's going through a different one. Maybe going through each one, some, some great, some small. But yet, for the, the, the one who is experiencing their trial, it is the heaviest trial in our life. It is the burden that we must bear under. And though, Lord, we sometimes wonder and we may question, we may doubt even why or why me or how long, whether we receive the answers or not, Lord, we pray that you would give us strength to persevere. Help us to keep our eyes on the end, the prize that is at the waiting upon us for those who keep our faith and trust in you, the faith that results in eternal life with you and Christ in heaven. We thank you, Lord, that we that even when we are tempted to doubt, even tempted to even blame you for our despair or our discouragement and trials, Lord, may you remind us that our temptations really come from ourselves, that you only give us good, that you give us trials to show us our faith, that when that, Lord, would cause us to keep persevering. And lastly, Father, remind us in the midst of trials that you are the God who is the Father of lights, there is no changing, and there's no turning. You don't change like shadows change. Lord, you are the unchanging, faithful God. Great is your faithfulness, O oh Lord. And you are the one who gives us all things for our good. You work out all things for our good. You've given us already your son. You did not even spare your son. Lord, how, el how much more will you give us? So, Father, we thank you that these truths can encourage us to persevere. And for, the, for the, those who have believed in Christ, may they persevere in their trials. And for those who are maybe not be believers in Christ but are going through trials right now and maybe even be wondering 
And they may be tempted, Father, even now to, put, to trust in themselves in the midst of trials. May you, through their trial, cause them to realize that their strength, their wisdom, their power can only take them so far. That who they need is Christ. And Father, may you cause them to see their sinful nature. May you cause them to see their rebellion against you, their refusal to submit to your laws, to your word, to obey you. May you cause them to repent and believe in Christ who died on the cross for their sins and rose from the grave so that their trust and faith might be in Jesus. And Father, that faith might be their strength in the midst of their trials. That they might join us in this race, this marathon, Lord. And as we run, we pray that as first fruits, that we would be a testimony to the world of what you are doing, bringing salvation and a recreation of the world, a new heavens and new earth, beginning with salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who makes this all possible. In his name we pray. Amen.